Hey, it's Ashley Nicole. I appreciate y'all for listening and hopefully you're all getting your, keeping your cheeses on your crackers. I'm dropping in on this episode to give you some goodies. Have you been wanting to get into the podcast game and don't know where to start? I got you. I have answers. If you haven't already heard about Anchor by Spotify, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor has everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Let me say it again um, in case you missed it. Everything that you need to make a podcast is conveniently in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Free 99, zero dollars, zero cents. So go ahead and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I can't wait to listen to your podcast too. All right, so welcome to the first episode of Getting My Cheese Back on the Cracker, where we focused on holding the conversation that makes mental health sexy. And let's meet our panel. Um, you guys, could you start? Let's start with Tisa, and you guys can introduce oh, yourself. Um, my name is Tisa. Um, if you see my bio, then you know I'm an um, Army veteran, and I'm actually a grad student right now. So I'm pursuing my master's in mental health counseling, and right now my concentration is on rehabilitation. So work with individuals with disabilities as well as work with individuals with substance abuse and alcoholism. Okay. And then we also have Dev White. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Dev White. Um, I am a New Jersey-based uh, licensed clinical social worker, working with primarily adolescents, and I work with adults as well. Awesome. And we also have Janice Rockman. Hey, everyone. I'm Janice Rockman, or J-Rock, whichever you prefer. Uh, I work as a journalist, um, public policy reform advocate, and neuropsychotherapist, and, um, and my practice is brain-based, but I primarily treat trauma, um, addiction, and family systems work. Thank you. And we also have just joining us, uh, Ricky Dancy. Good evening, everybody. 
Hi, Ricky. Um, thank you for joining us. Did you have a, um, an intro? Did you want to introduce yourself? Well, I'm Ricky, uh, one half of the Playlist podcast. I'm appreciating the opportunity to be here in fellowship and build with you all. Awesome, awesome. And then we have our uh, my co-host, Paige. He's uh, doing double duty today. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, during this conversation, we will be discussing COVID-19 and how it has affected the Black community, specifically how we are being affected, the mental repercussions, and tips on dealing with and healing from mental health deficits while coming through this pandemic. Considering everything going on today, right now, and prior to COVID-19, um, how do you think people um, thought about mental health? We can start with uh, Tisa. <laughs> um, I think people still think mental health is so taboo. So especially in the black community, like when you say you have some sort of issue, it's just automatically crazy. Like, oh, you crazy. Or you want to talk about getting help is, oh, you want somebody to shrink you or you want somebody to play with your mind. Like it just it has such a negative connotation to it um and people really don't want to seek help and if it's not that then it's um pray about it so i feel like it's either taboo or it's real religious like they they demonize people for having a mental health issue or you don't need the medicine you don't need this so a lot of people aren't compliant and they don't do what they need to do because when they go to church you know instead of them you know getting educated and make sure they have the proper knowledge for mental health issues and deal with people in their congregation. Like, you know, they make them feel even worse than what they already do. And people, they just, they don't get the help that they need because they're afraid of the labels. And so instead of, you know, getting educated about, you know, the proper diagnosis or whatever, they just kind of just internalize everything and they don't deal. And by the time they get to a point where they need to deal, things have escalated so bad and you end up with people, you know, that don't know how to handle their emotions, their anger issues and everything else. So they just kind of get lost in society and end up doing things that they necessarily wouldn't have done if they just, you know, took the proper precautions and seek some help. Okay. Anybody else like to sound off on how we may have thought of mental health prior to this, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic? I think it might, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, J-Rock. I was just gonna say, um, prior, well, I usually, I often say that for some folks in some communities, mental health and wellness is treated much like the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny and Santa Claus. It's almost mm -hmm. like it doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. And I really think that under pressure, we become more of who we are and under pressure, um, what is sort of hidden kind of comes to light. And so in the same way that this uh, global pandemic has affected people systemically in different ways beyond the medical you know implications i think that the mental health part of it has come to the forefront like you know what i think that people a lot of people in particular in communities of color and for folks of african descent it's like it's reached a tipping point whereas mm -hmm. tisa was saying you know we can't pray it away like you know we can't like church it away we can't dance it away you can't smoke it away it's just at a point where they actually have to go in and get like critical intervention because they're realizing the anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation and addiction you know um that these things are showing up 
in ways that we're not able to cope with on our own and we're not supposed to because we don't try and fix our own teeth. We go to the dentist. We don't try and fix our own car for the most part. You know, we go get, let somebody look under the hood. So it's the same kind of thing even with our brain and with our mental health care. People are like, okay, uh, I think I need to reach out. And people are actually being bold enough to have the conversation. Like the point of pain is push people to actually start to talk about it to where it's becoming a little more normalized and reducing some of the shame. But I still think we have a long way to go, like what he's just saying. Right. Um, Ricky, what are your thoughts on, um, on mental health as a whole in the Black community? I know you guys have your, um, basically your um, music therapy podcast. Can you sound off a little bit on that? Yeah, I feel as Black men, we've typically been groomed to not think about mental health, to be tough, compartmentalize things, and just drive on. So I think now what we're seeing happen is it's become normalized for men to understand that they themselves have dealt with trauma and they need to heal from that to not only be a better version of themselves for themselves, but for those around them. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. And Devin. Yeah. So finally, so for me, right, so just thinking about like the long history that black folks and people of African descent have had with healthcare in general, right? Um, and just thinking about the distrust that comes with that. Um, so to add the, the new layer or the quote unquote new layer of like seeking mental help, like folks aren't going to get regular checkups. So to go get a mental checkup is like completely unheard of for a lot of folks, right? Um, it's not even something that they want to do. Um, like there's a stat that says that uh, like the health and human services of minority health uh, office says that like about 20% of, of black African-Americans are more likely um, to have a mental health issue. Um, and then once you look at that, about one in three actually get the help that they really need. Um, so if you factor in, you know, folks that are trying to go to church and try to do all these things or try to seek other ways um, whether it's church, whether it's self-medicating, which is a big thing too that we see, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot of unpacked uh, mental issues that we have going on. Yeah, and like what both of you just mentioned, um, both Bob and Ricky, the idea of trauma, that we're born into trauma, we're born into systems, mm -hmm. and trauma is multi-generational and it's transgenerational. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of us, it's been passed down. And one of the trauma responses, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, I think that there's so many people that have symptoms of post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. disorder and have no idea that that's what it is. The mm -hmm. intrusive thoughts, the, mm -hmm. the restlessness, the irritability, in some cases, the lack of memories or no memories mm -hmm. at all, the numbness, the dissociation. So I think a huge coping mechanism honestly has become, it's not that big of a deal, I'm straight, you know, it was, right. it was you know, we yeah. good, we, you know, that whole thing. And it's almost looked at in a way, uh, we talk about like toxic masculinity or toxic femininity, but not in a way of accusing um, those persons for taking on those identities, but in looking at the pressure that they have to fit into that identity, mm -hmm. you know? And so even just the disconnect, like the narcissism that, that can that can occur over time where there's not a lot of empathy even for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, is that's a trauma response. And so I, I think it's compacted because we have so much that's been passed down from generation to generation. And it's like, we don't deal with this. And mm -hmm. in some cases, religion becomes the addiction to not yeah. deal with the stuff. I also think like um, in our communities, a lot of people 
they try to self-diagnose versus just actually going to get the help. So they'll hop on the mm-hmm. internet mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I think I got this. Oh, I have anxiety. I have, you know, PTSD. I have depression. Like they are self-diagnosed. Like they'll read anything on the internet and self-diagnose themselves. And we're talking to people like, yeah, well, you know, I have this. So it's making my anxiety cut up. It's making this, you know, you know, instead of just actually going to talk to someone and actually figure out what it is that's going on and actually get a proper diagnosis and know how to deal with whatever it is that they're not dealing with in a healthy way. And that's just, I think that is a really big problem. But my thing is like, how do we combat that? Like, how do we get to a place where people feel safe? Like we have the conversation going on now, but how do you get to the point of actually going and coming to get the services or mm-hmm. the resources because a lot of people they don't know about the resource they don't know about the eap so they're paying for all this stuff with their jobs but no one knows about this stuff like they don't know the resources that they have access to because people don't want to talk about it so, so i think that's like another thing in our communities that we need to address right so there's like a lack of um communication a lack of discussion on things mental health or health related period um and that is a really great point. So what do you guys think is like um, this self-medication, self-diagnosis? Do you think that that's playing a negative part as far as mental health and as far as like the um, this pandemic as well? I mean, I think in a way, yeah, because it's just another way of avoidance, mm-hmm. you know? It's another way of avoidance. And, and kind of like what Dev was making reference to about the history was there with the distrust um so very logical and reasonable by the right. way <laughs> and right. documents yeah, right. distrust right. all right, right. <laughs> um so and then to that regard it, it it becomes a way to disconnect from it and to avoid it and when we suppression doesn't work period it comes out somewhere else right it comes out somewhere mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah but yeah i do think it contributes to it and i think that every time we tell a little boy, you know, um, man up, or we tell mm-hmm. a, a girl, you know, be strong, be strong, you're a little queen, or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You can be those things, but you can have a, a, flu- a range of, of, of intellect, emotion, experiences within mm-hmm. that, and it doesn't make you lesser than it makes you greater. But right. until we change those kind of narratives, I think we have to shift. <laughs> I think there's a lot of redefinition. It's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's more than just it's self love, man. It's yeah. like learning what that really looks like because there's because I mean think about it. A few hundred years ago, if someone was violently assaulted, sexually assaulted, if someone went missing, you know, in this country anyway, because we know people of color are the global majority, but on this particular part of the rock of you know this planet, you know that those things happen. You just had to be quiet. There wasn't very much you could do. But then we pass that down into present day with that same sense of helplessness and disconnection. And I think that's what's very harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, we did things to cope that we had mm-hmm. to do. There was literally no recourse. Certain laws weren't even on the books. And when they were, mm-hmm. our names were not included or intended. Right, right, so, right. But now we're still carrying that same narrative. Mm-hmm. And not only that, we've internalized it. So then we actually think there's something wrong with, with you know, with us. Mm-hmm. And then we don't speak out. We don't... Um we don't carry that voice to deal with it. I know um, Ricky, uh, Ricky's show deals with uh, males and mental health and um, therapy. Do you think that there's more of an emphasis or do you think that there's an equal need for something similar for like women as far as uh, mental health and things of that nature? Of course, women experience so much and deal with so much that 
even as black men, sometimes we fail to acknowledge or realize. Um, I saw something the other day that was saying that doctors kill black women at about the same rate that police kill unarmed black men. And most men don't even think about things like that, about what's going on with the women. Because not only are you facing the different things that you face as being a black woman, but also just being a woman. So you're black and you're a woman. And now you mm -hmm. have that double, I'm not going to say disadvantage. I'll just say negativity coming your way, stigmas, stereotypes, um, very hard for you all to be able to show real passion and emotion at work sometimes because I've seen it happen where I know someone and I'm like, they're not angry, but because they are a black woman, they're seen as angry, um, overly aggressive and things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, actually, I think it's a, it's a, it's worse than a double standard, you know, yeah. I've had so mm -hmm. many clients and patients that are like, well, where exactly, where is the space for little black girls? Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, because like, it's, it's sort of this thing where it's like, um, be smart and be intelligent, but don't forget where you came from. Mm -hmm. Be strong and be like fearless because you got to hold the whole community up, including, you know, um, the black man or black family or whatever it is. So, but I'll, you know, but be sensitive at the same time. Like, don't be too strong, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, all right, but be sexy, but don't be too sexy. It's just so <laughs> <Right>. many. <laughs> so many messages, right? Yeah, but, mm -hmm. but you know what? They're they are more narratives you know, that are unattainable. So I think that's where a lot of the inner dysfunction comes from because it's like, you, there's no way that if they're conflicting messages, I think what I'm saying, they don't right. match. It's not linear. There's no congruency there. Right. So it's like, it's shooting for something that's not realistic. Okay. And Tisa, do you have any like experiences? I know that you're, um, I remember you said you had to go to therapy as a part of going into your, um, your degree, your master's program, mm -hmm. what are some of your experiences as a black woman that were kind of unique to that, um, I guess, transition? Um, so my experiences have always as a black woman been kind of different. So one, growing up in the South and then like in North Carolina, you know, being in a place, so dealing with racism and then also, you know, school and stuff like that. So I've always had like weird experiences. Um, so I don't know, but I never really thought about like how much it affected me mentally until um, what maybe a few weeks ago, I really just took the time to really think about it. And it was after, you know, people was really vocal about, you know, protect our black women and stuff. It's like, as I stated before, you know, like I just never really thought of it because you're just always taught to be strong, be this. And when you're that person, cause you know, like everybody even say you're strong, but then you have those people who are really taught like, oh, you're strong, you can take it. So you internalize those things. Mm -hmm. And like that just kind of becomes your narrative like oh I'm strong I can take it it's cool and I'm that person so I had to really sit there and think like yeah it shouldn't be this hard you know like love is hard I shouldn't have to feel like I have to take on the world and feel like I can't breathe because it's suffocating because as much love and strength that you give to other people and taking the time to build other people up like you really don't always have time to do it for yourself like you're essentially pouring from an empty cup at all times like you have nothing because you've depleted yourself for doing so much for other people but because you're on autopilot and you do it for so long like you never really take the time to think like okay this is unhealthy 
Mm-hmm. Like I had to find a better way to self-care and to take care of me. But you like over time, like it's like you feel guilty for putting you first because you don't know how to be selfish mm-hmm. because you do so much for other people that you really don't know how to like, okay, it's okay for me to kind of love on me for a minute. It's okay to, you know, fill my cup up. It's okay to stand in the mirror and tell me that I'm beautiful and tell myself that I'm sexy and I'm worthy and I don't need to be objectified. Like, it's okay to, you know, kind of just love on you, but you spend so much time building other people up that you really don't think about that. That's kind of an idolize, though, don't you think? That's kind of an idolize, though, don't you think, Tisa? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. the one that can do it all and, like, hold it all together and, like, you know, work yeah, yourself. They, they put you on a like a pedestal. Like mm-hmm. I remember um, when I was in the the military, and it was a class or whatever I needed to take. And I would tell them, you know, like I wasn't comfortable because in that area for the class, like it was, you know, it was land nav, and I wasn't comfortable. With, like I can excel in everything else, but land navigation, like it was really a struggle for me. And I kept telling them, I'm like, hey, listen, I need a little help. Like I'm a little familiar with this, you know. And they're just like, oh, Harris, you got it. You good. Like, and I'm like, listen, I'm trying to tell y'all. And so whenever it was time for me to go do my land nav test or whatever, like, I was already nervous because I knew it wasn't my strength. And nobody was really listening. And I got out there and I ran out of time the first time I did my land nav. And then the second time, like, I was literally walking around my plot and I bust the time again. So... They was like, oh my gosh, I don't understand. I was like, bro, I was telling y'all I needed help. Like, I was vocally saying, like, I need some assistance. Like, I, you know, like, why didn't you come to me? Like, I was, but you wasn't listening. And they was like, oh, but you're Harris. You got it. Like, I knew you was yeah. going to be okay. Listen, I was telling you that I'm not okay. Like, I don't. And I feel like. Yeah, that's that double standard. So it's like, like reach out, you know? but then we don't hear you because you got it. <laughs> yeah, like, because they have this idea like, oh, sh- she's strong. She's going to figure it out. Like, even if they don't, they're like, oh, she'll figure it out. That's what she do. But sometimes you shouldn't have to figure it out all the time. Like, if I'm asking you for some help, like, that means I need help. But when it comes to women, I feel like sometimes we do just that. You know, they speak up and we vocalize this. Oh, you nagging. You complaining. You you need this, like, no, like, I really need you to hear me, like, you're not listening, you're not, you know, comprehending what I'm trying to say to you, like, I'm not nagging, I'm just telling you, it bothers me, I need help with this, I feel like you're not lifting me up, like, I shouldn't have to fight this hard for you to actually hear me, especially whenever I'm taking the time to be actively listening to your story, so, yeah, because those are shaming statements anyway, that's, like, shaming somebody for reaching out for Mm -hmm. support, right, all right. And then, so considering, so I'm hearing like, there's a, there's a theme we have, uh, we're telling our boys to man up. We're telling women, oh, I love you being strong. Um, I'm not going to help you. Um, so with that being said, especially looking at um, the atmosphere, um, so we have this COVID situation and we already don't trust doctors. And when we do go to the doctors, we are we're supposed to be strong or we we know that we're not going to be helped how do you think this is playing into um mental health and the pandemic in general it definitely makes it worse Mm -hmm. because there are people out here that are even scared to go get tested because they don't trust the doctors right and so they may be walking around and maybe an asymptomatic carrier, asymptomatic carrier, and not know it. 
Um, there are a lot of people that aren't really taking this virus seriously. I just heard something on the radio this morning about college students having corona parties, intentionally yeah. getting together to see who gets sick first. Right. And just, I saw like, I saw that on the news too. Mm-hmm. It blew me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then I think too, from like a nutritional psychology standpoint, we also need to be looking at going back to some of the basics and going Mm. back to understanding that we're made up of living cells and Mm. living bodies. And if everything that we eat is packaged, processed, fried, and dyed, we're putting dead food in our body, which Mm -hmm. causes us to become immunocompromised. So I think that's another part of it where we can advocate for ourselves and sort of take some power back into our hands and kind of understand how how what we put in our body affects our immunity and affects um, also our mental health, by the way. Right. You know, and that kind of goes back into like what you were saying before about how we just need to like change a lot of systems right um because yeah. a lot of a lot of like the the ptsd and the stuff that we see coming from folks are because of the poverty that some of our communities are in right um so like the violence that folks see um in some communities like that adds to like their battle for mental health right um so mm-hmm. You know, you think folks are a little more paranoid because of where they might live on top of adding the, the COVID part too, right? So now they're paranoid right. already and then they're really paranoid because like they're already scared to go out, but now they're really scared to go out um, yeah. because they're, they're afraid of getting infected. So, Yeah, not to mention that like I said, well, that's a great point. And then when that happens, our threat detection system kicks in, our amygdala mm-hmm. kicks in. We're living in survival mode. We're releasing more cortisol that increases our stress hormone that lowers our health outcomes. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. a cyclical, like what you said just now, it's more of a, I think more of a systems approach and making a a bigger shift. I don't think we can just target one particular dimension. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, During this conversation, we have been discussing um, some of the reasons as to why COVID has affected the black community. What are some of the reasons that you believe that um, COVID-19 has had such an impact on Black communities? I think because people, um, they have, they've been forced to deal with issues like because people have been stationary and kind of just having to sit down. And when you have to sit still, like sometimes you have no choice but to reflect. And we deal with so many things on a superficial level. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, you know, like people, they're talking, like they have nothing else to do. So they're talking, they're mm-hmm. writing, they're venting. And it's forcing people to actually deal, even when they don't want to deal. So a lot of people are uncomfortable. I think that's kind of like the blessing in the COVID because it's making people so uncomfortable to the point where they have to address a lot of issues that um, they've suppressed over the years. And I think that's a lot of our problems. Like we deal with things on the outer layer of, you know, the service. So it's always a superficial way of how we deal with things or we're reacting. We're never, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're not proactive and right. how we deal with things we're always reactive and i feel like if we get to the root of a lot of the issues then we can kind of you know be better at how we combat a lot of the things that's going on in our communities and i feel like COVID is making us kind of really take a look in the mirror and look at ourselves like okay i really need to deal with this i haven't been dealing with it so long but i ain't got nothing but time now mm-hmm. i'm sitting here so let me take this time to work on me and people are just kind of looking in the mirror and kind of seeing the ugliness for whatever it is I think what uh, it was something that uh, that J Rock said earlier is like this is like really been like a tipping point, right? Um, that stuff has just kind of been bubbling over for a lot of folks, 
and now like everything is boiled over and yeah. like now that we're stuck at home most people um or like following cdc guidelines like you have no choice um but to self-reflect and and really look at you know the issues that that you've been sitting with for a while now um with nothing but time like people something else that j-rock said like people avoid right and now with umpteenth hours at home you can't avoid it like any issues that you had with a spouse that now y'all both home like you can't avoid that like that's that's in your face like that's in your face for like months now mm-hmm. um and like you, you see that too like a lot of couples this is a kind of like a slight tangent but like you see a lot of couples are like ending relationships or like changing how they do relationships just because they're like i really don't like this person like i've been sitting right. with this person for three months <laughs> in my house i really don't like them um, because like that space, that work buffer isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you see a lot of things like that changing. Uh, but yeah, so yeah. that's how that's like a, another thing that you know, like it's it's really really been a tipping point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like devil's advocate on the positive side and say that I have found that it seems like our generation is trying to be the generation to break the generational curse of mental health being taboo by and large. And a lot of people have been taking this time to reflect and do what they need to do to address their mental health issues and get better, whether it be, and as well as manifest their dreams. I've seen many people starting businesses, getting into investing. I've seen a lot of couples actually reinvigorate Mm -hmm. their relationship because they've now had time to really get back to what made them fall in love with each other in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And one of the, there's always a positive side to everything so I wouldn't want to just stay down you know I think too many a lot of people do focus on the negatives of what COVID is causing and what could co- become the new normal but I do think that we as people um, have, are being very resilient especially as black people and utilizing this time to try to get over that trauma. I read a study about two weeks ago that said the profound trauma caused by slavery would last, be passed down for 14 generations. And that's deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that it has to be all or nothing thinking. Right. Like, I think all or nothing thinking is a form of a cognitive distortion. It's on the cognitive distortion list. It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that like, we're either handling this great or we suck. And I'm saying that in very non-clinical terms mm-hmm. on purpose, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we can have some integration of thought in here. And I think that's a lot of pressure for us to be like, we're all this or none of that, right. you know? And I don't think we have to, you know, um, some of the disparities, you, I guess one could say is negativity. One could just say is, you know, reality. Um, I think we have to be mindful about toxic positivity in all honesty, because I think it's a huge thing. I just did a post about that recently. I think it's a huge way that we dismiss sometimes experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think we should be a little bit mindful, and this is a, probably a little bit more of an inflammatory statement, so everyone may not agree with this listening or not, and that's okay. <laughs> that's, my, that's my little dance, right? <laughs> but I said that's to say, I think we also need to be aware that, you know, of the, of the implicit bias sometimes that shows up in statistics, 
Yeah. And and I just think we just at least need to be aware that if every statistic I read, I'm at the shorter end of this demographic study. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I just think we gotta just right. be very conscious about that because consumers. Yep. Right. You know, it's like with family systems. The the mm-hmm. ideas of the person that maybe is 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 spewing toxicity or abusive language or oppress oppression and systems of oppression. What happens over time is after a while, the person that's receiving that information starts to actually believe it. Mm-hmm. And, but believe that it means something that there's something fundamentally like organically flawed about them. So I just mm-hmm. think that I think in any system of you know institutionalized oppression. If you're already, you know, suffering in several demographics, such as, you know, economics, healthcare, maybe education, not because of your own deficit or your own lack of ability, but because the institution is set up in that way, of course, anything that happens is going to affect you in a different way disproportionately, but it's not because of the texture of your hair or the color of your skin. And I do hear people that talk about it in that way, like, what's wrong with us kind of thing, or what did I do? Because they've internalized the narrative. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. That's what my little thing else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do agree. And-